0: Welcome to the Remote Work Tribe Podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Remote Work Tribe Podcast. This episode's a little different because we're doing an in-depth conversation with two people who have successfully implemented the EOS framework EOS stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System, and it's the foundational goal-setting and accountability framework from the book Traction by Gina Wickham. And in this episode, I am joined by Rachel Maza, who is the COO and CMO of The Copy Chief, um, and John Doherty, who is the founder of Editor Ninja and Credo. And we really dive into a lot of the intricacies of EOS um, and how it's implement it, strengths, weaknesses, and just general, like things to that you should know. Rachel, do you want to just give a quick intro about what you're up to? Sure. Yeah. So I am a full stack marketer and fractional integrator. What I do is I help
2: people build and scale profitable offers online while also learning how to step out of the day-to-day of
1: their business. Love it. And John, do you want to do a quick intro as well?
0: Yeah, for sure. So I'm John Doherty. I am the founder and CEO of a company called Editor Ninja, where we do content editing services, mostly partnering with marketing teams and content agencies to help them make their message clearer, their copy clearer, and ultimately drive more business from the content that they're producing. So I'm a longtime veteran SEO content marketer where i been agency side in-house and then been building companies for the last seven and a half years on my own. Um, so, and I am, I am the opposite of Rachel in that I am a, uh, in, in the, the traction system, I am the visionary, not the integrator. So I think this is going to be a great conversation.
1: It's all about
2: balance.
1: I love it. And how did you guys both first hear about EOS? You want to kick it off, John? You probably have a different story
0: than I do. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I actually heard about it a long time ago, 2015, 2016, uh, 2016, 2017. Cause I remember I was already living in Colorado, um, where I still live and a friend told me about it. Cause I was kind of struggling with like thinking about hiring and that kind of thing. And I actually started reading it and started like going through it with a, with that same friend and about three chapters in, I'm like, this does not resonate with me at all. Like, I, I just cannot identify with it because so I was too early on. We didn't have like market fit yet. And yeah, so, but that was when I originally heard about it. And then it was probably 20, 2020, I think is when I, I picked it up again. Someone, uh, I think Dan Martel uh, mentioned it to me or recommended it. And so I picked it up. And that was when it really clicked. And that was when it really hit. And so I, I mean, took me a couple of days, but I just like studied it and took, took full notes on it and everything and kind of started implementing it in Credo, um, my other business at that time.
2: Yeah. And for me, I came, discovered EOS, I came into a company, which was actually my, my business coach was looking for someone to help run his company. And it was already very successful and had been Built over six years, was already a successful company, and was run by this scrappy team of everybody do everything startup unicorns. It was like three or four people on the team, and um, when I came in, they were they were very dutifully passing around what they lovingly called the ball of overwhelm, which was every someone would take on the 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 role of trying to fix everything and hold everything together. When really what they needed was better systems in place, uh, both for marketing and operations. So I came in as a fresh pair of eyes. And um, it was very much an organic evolution of figuring this out as we go. And we looked at a different, a, a few different types of operating systems. Like I know Mike Michalowicz has one called Run Like Clockwork, I think that they were going through and we looked at a couple other systems, but EOS really resonated because it was all about empowering people to work on their own and everyone was on the, team, on the team already, was very independent and autonomous. So this was about creating more transparency and more accountability through these tools that help us work together, but allow everyone to sit in their very specific seat and kind of let go of everything that's not their responsibility or problem. So that was really a- appealing to us, having this team of high performers. It gave them freedom through putting some restrictions in place that allowed them to let go of other things. And that's kind of how we came to the the EOS system.
0: And if I can add a little bit of context, um, just kind of building off what Rachel said at Credo, basically we got to the point where we had six, seven, eight people. And basically we're doing annual planning and kind of like setting the the vision for the year, but then we'd get, and we'd be like, all right, this is what we're working on over the next little while. And we'd get about 90 to a hundred days in to the year or, you know, after we did planning. And then we were like, it, it, everything just started to fall apart and no one had any idea what anyone was working on. What's the priority, that sort of thing. And so EOS really helped with like the quarterly planning really helped with like getting everyone, uh, everyone to row in the same direction. Right. Rachel, like if you think yes. about like a, yep. like a boat, like you have a lot of high performers, everyone's in good shape. Everyone knows how to row, but if you're not all rowing in the same direction at the same cadence, you're not going to go anywhere. You're at least not going to be very fast. Right. Um, and at worst you just get spin in circles. So that was, that was kind of what was going on in my business at the time when we arrived at, okay, we need some sort of format here.
2: Well, and John, you actually have a really difficult job as the visionary, because I think a lot of times, especially from an operational perspective, sometimes people look and say like, oh, the visionary is this, this special princess and you must protect them and their creative energy. Right. But that is so, so important. We said, getting everyone to row in the same direction, you have to create a really strong vision and then motivate and get everyone behind it to be rowing in the same direction. Because if you're if you're running a team or a business where you do have a lot of high performers, high achievers, people with lots of ideas, the better they are at it, the harder it is to get everyone to rally rally around one idea because everyone's got their own ideas and their job is to bring new ideas and be creative and exciting. So it's actually a really difficult job to be a visionary who can create a really strong vision and get everyone behind it. So this kind of gives you a framework for that too, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I am still a special princess, but um,
2: (laughs) as you should be,
0: (laughs) as we we all should be in our own way. Right. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And that, like, I think that's one of the beautiful things about business and, and, you know, why we need systems like this. Because, you know, you have some people who are, you know, visionaries like myself, you have like integrators, like kind of getting everyone to row in the same direction, like like you. And then you have like kind of a myriad of personalities and like different personality types, you know, kind of within different roles usually, right? Like developers tend to be more introverted and designers tend to be a little, tend to be more creative and like getting everybody to kind of get on the same page and like celebrating that, yep. um, that difference while at the same time not letting it derail. Right. Um, And not letting like, you know, junior designer disrupt the whole like business direction because like, oh, they had this idea that they heard on a podcast, you know? So yeah, I think this is a great way I I found. I mean, it kind of saved the businesses a little bit overstated, but it it at least saved my sanity um, when we started implementing it.
2: Yeah. And our results got better. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is it's very results driven. Everything is about the outcome, the results, and you have to let go of the process a little bit. And that's part of that freedom that comes with letting people work how they want to work too.
1: Yeah. So stepping back for a second, you guys both got sold on the idea of EOS. What were the steps that you took to introduce it to your team? Like both of you guys have teams of very independent, autonomous, high performers. How did you initially introduce that, uh, introduce this idea to them? And what were the first steps that you guys both took when it came to implementing it? Go ahead, John.
0: I was going to ask you to go ahead because I'm trying to think. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can think, kick it off if uh, you want. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go for it. Let me think about it. I'm trying to remember.
2: Sure. So at the time we had the budget, fortunately, to hire an EOS implementor, not to be confused with an integrator. An implementor is someone from the EOS team or an affiliate of the EOS team that is trained to help you roll out EOS in your business. And so we did originally hire someone to help us roll out it uh, initially for the first year. And then we discovered that um, we actually didn't really feel like we needed them that much. And so I took over the, the role of helping us implement EOS going forward. But it was really, really helpful to have someone lead us through that initial rollout who was experienced in EOS and also experienced in building businesses. This person had built over $11 million in various startups and had seen businesses come from all different sizes and, and all different types of teams roll out EOS. So that was really helpful. They also acted as kind of a mediator. I'm very fortunate that I'm really in sync with the visionary I was working with and we have a really really good relationship and just absolute complete trust there but i could see how a lot of companies who don't have such a strong level of trust would need someone to be almost like a counselor in the relationship for us the benefit was that she was the implementer was able to pull out the vision and help us dig deeper into things that we would normally gloss over i think a lot of times when you're when you're building a business like a lot of the stuff that feels woo woo like des- defining your your mission statement and your core values sometimes that stuff gets pushed to the back burner because you're just trying to make things happen. Right. And so it was really good to have someone there that said, put your butt in that seat, sit down, and we're going to outline all this stuff because it's important. And so that was really helpful when we were first getting started with the process.
0: I love that. I wish we had had the revenue to hire someone to, to do it from what I remember. So I had a business partner uh, at the time in Credo and basically he and I were talking about it and he's a he's a developer. He was our, he was our CTO and. He and I were like, he and I were, you know, talking fairly often and talking about business strategy and pretty in sync. But then we were realizing that like people on the team weren't really in sync with us. And I think I basically started, I read the book. This is just like classic John. where like, I get an idea or I, I th- I'm thinking about something It's in my brain. I don't t- tell anyone about it. I didn't like go and read something and like solve it on my own. And then I'm like, Hey, I think we should do this. He's like, I don't know. My partner was like, I don't know. And so I got him to read it and he was like, okay, this actually like could be really good. And so he read the book and we talked about it. And then we were basically like, okay, I think this, I think this makes sense. And so we kind of like stair-stepped our way into it. And we never like, I'll, I'll be completely honest. We never fully implemented the full, like, you know, the like 90 minute meeting every Monday, like that kind of thing. We did a little bit of an adjusted cadence, but we did the, you know, the annual planning, the quarterly planning, the rocks, etc. And basically we had a, you know, a small team. And so, you know, there's like six of us, seven of us that were, were kind of uh, the core team at that point. And so we were all on a zoom call. And basically I just went into it with like, just asking questions and was like, Hey, do y'all agree that, you know, it feels like we're kind of all over the place and no one really knows what each other's working on and no one knows knows what you know just kind of like laid into it like that and they're all like yes yes what are you talking about what do you what, you know what are you thinking and i basically like presented it to them and they're like this sounds awesome i'm like cool you all want to give it a shot and they're like yes absolutely and so then i think we i don't i think it was actually near the end of 2020 and then we uh we, we basically did annual planning and Q1 planning and we knew, or no, it was, it was Q3 going into Q4. And we, and basically set the expectation that, Hey, this is going to take a couple of, of you know, cycles, a couple of quarters to figure out, but we did the rocks. We did it. We did everything. And then basically just went with it from there. So I basically was like, all right, we need something like, cause I was, I felt like I was doing too much. And I had no idea, even as the CEO and founder supposed to be leading the visionary, supposed to be leading the ship, directing the ship. Like I, I didn't even know what we were supposed to be prioritizing. So, you know, kind of, um, yeah, that, that's kind of how we how we rolled it out and how I presented it to the team at the time.
1: Okay, I'm going to zoom out for a second and explain some key concepts that we're about to be talking more about within this conversation, um, and that's the concepts of rocks, scorecards, and level ten meetings. These are kind of the fundamental concepts from the EOS framework. Rocks can be set via individual, can by by team, and by department. Um, And they're really designed to kind of be anchors around the goals that you have for a given quarter. Level 10 meetings are essentially like your high-level check-in and meetings to be able to see if you are on track or not with the goals that you have. And to really identify and bring up, you know, blockers before it's too late and the rock is sacrificed entirely. And then another mechanism to kind of keep your rocks in track are called weekly scorecards. And these are scorecards that you can use within your team or individually to be able to make sure that everyone stays on track.
2: So for anyone who doesn't know, EOS is basically a collection of tools that helps you create more organization and transparency and accountability in your business without having to have like a death grip on everything and have be absolutely aware of absolutely everything going on all the time. So one of the things that John went over is you have these like quarterly rocks, which are main focuses for your business. You've got monthly or weekly scorecards, which are the the very top specific metrics that you need to look at each week to make sure that the company is healthy. And then these Monday, they call them level 10 meetings because you're supposed to rate it on a scale of one to 10 and Mm -hmm. everybody wants to get a 10. And um, it's interesting you said, John, you rolled out a lot of the bigger tools and not the nitty gritty tools like the level 10 meetings, the Monday meetings. And we found- we actually started with the level 10 meetings and that was the big game changer for us and allowed us to roll out the bigger big picture tools by starting with those level 10 meetings. So interesting, you guys kind of came at it at the opposite direction as we did.
0: Yeah, but it it worked.
2: I think that's it too. You hear a lot of times, and I especially hear this from like, there's this team of EOS evangelists, right? Where you'll always meet someone, they're like die hard. EOS. It is the Bible of business. And they say that you can't change anything. You have to follow it to the letter. They're always like got like sound bites that they pulled out of one of the books or something. And they will, they you will like- give them a conniption if you tell them that you adjusted something or aren't doing something by the book. But you really do, especially when you're a smaller company. And I'm talking like most EOS people running on EOS are like 10 million plus. We're not at that Mm -hmm. at all. And I think when you're a smaller business, you do have to adjust because there's a lot of things that would make so much sense and are really necessary for a $10 million plus business that are complete luxuries for a $1 to $3 million business.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we implemented it around four or 500 K. So, I mean, we were talking before you even got on that. I feel like I implemented it too early and you said the same thing. So yeah, I, I agree. And I'm, I'm all about the, like, do what, do what works. And these systems are, to me, they're, they are their best practices. Right. And I firmly believe that best practices are not where you end. It's where you start. So start there and then you adjust it as, you know, as your individual, you know, um, organization or whatever needs. So
2: Yeah. That's really interesting. You talking about implementing too early because that was one thing we were really aware of uh, hiring this implementor. We just happened to have the budget for it, but it it was still a luxury for sure. But everyone was maxed out on bandwidth, which is why it was worth it at the time. But Mm. she told us she's like most companies, a minimum is, is five or 10 million to even think about implementing EOS. And what we found was we joked, my partner and I we joked that we made, we built the perfect $5 million company. We just built Mm. the company before we built the marketing to reach (laughs) 5 million. And so it's like one of the, one of those things where it's like you have to either trust the process and that you're making this investment and that you're able to scale your marketing up to meet it, or you have to make those concessions and stay nimble as you're doing it to make sure that you're, you're not going overboard before you can,
0: before you can pay for it. Yeah, for sure.
1: Absolutely. And to just chime in for a second, I know both of you guys, when we were chatting offline and even now, just now talking about how you both implemented it almost a little too early. If you could go back and wave a magic wand, do you still think you would have implemented as early as you did? Or would you have done some things differently?
2: Uh, For us? Yes. Um, What we did too early was, um, so part of EOS is you build this accountability chart, which is kind of like an organizational chart, but instead of focusing on titles, it focuses on responsibilities and the success metrics that those people with those responsibilities need to meet in order to be successful. So it's all focused around accountability and uh, results. And what we did is we, like when I, we were joking that we built out the five, the perfect $5 million company is we built a structure that would get the company to 5 million and that the company would need to have in order to to reach 5 million and, and succeed there. But we just hired all those people like right off the bat. And so we, we built the company and then didn't scale the marketing alongside it, figuring that would come after. So I think that we hired too fast, too big, too fast for sure. And then also we hired some key roles, leadership positions, which 99% of them worked out really well, but there was one, which was the marketing department. We just hired and gave up all the trust too fast, just relying on the tools a little bit too much there was a little bit too much autonomy and freedom there for someone that we didn't know before building that relationship and building a company that could support that.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a common thing that I see, uh, at companies, especially like there are definitely those companies that get, that get big and they start, I call it, they're abdicating, not delegating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, you are now doing this thing. Right. And they're like, but like, what, what are my guardrails? You know, and there's no like kind of direction for them. And then you kind of get a bunch of cowboys and, you know, uh, and then at some point no one really knows, no one really knows what's, you know, what's going on. I think for us, it was, you know, we were, we were a small team. It was like six, seven people. And, you know, so it was still pretty scrappy. And, kind of different people were doing different things, but everyone was doing kind of multiple things. And it wasn't very clearly defined, like whose role is what is like, this person does this thing, this person does this thing. But we found that like, like ownership was really hard to, uh, to to get going like ownership of a, a system or a process or a project or something like that. And to be candid, I had some people that, kind of weren't able to push things forward in a way that I, that I hoped that they would be able to. So that was like, I mean, which honestly is, I would not, I, w- I never would have found that out if we hadn't implemented this sort of system. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like that was actually kind of a blessing in disguise because I'm like, oh, okay, you're actually not very good at this. So like, are you the right person to be, have at the company? Right. Like those, those questions were had, um, you know, at least in, in my brain. So, but yeah, we, we, we definitely implemented it. I mean, yeah, most companies implement around like five, seven, 10 million, like we were way too early, but there was definitely some of that structure was needed in the company at that time. Like I we, we talked about it as we implemented EOS Lite.
1: I'm gonna zoom out again um, and gonna explain another key concept that we're gonna be talking more about within this conversation moving forward. And that's quarterly scorecards and quarterly pulsing. A quarterly scorecard is a document that shows how well your company is doing over a period of three months. It usually just includes all of the information from within your rocks and helps you be able to make sure that everyone on your team is accountable and can basically becomes a resource that you can use in talking points to make sure that you don't get off track. Uh, similarly, uh, quarterly pulsing is a shorter version of that scorecard. Typically it's a meeting and it's a way to kind of have these conversations openly and really be able to kind of Make sure things are not only on track, but also give people an outlet where if things aren't going well, they have an outlet to be able to voice those and kind of get those back on track.
2: Yeah, that's like, I love that. The accountability tools are so, so powerful. Like what you said about finding people who weren't pushing things forward. It's like, how long have we been paying these people to basically coast, right? Like that's the kind of stuff you find out. And the tools are really, that's the one thing I love about us is the tools are really helpful for creating accountability because when those aren't in place, people feel nuts, right? You're like, you feel like a crazy person. You feel like you could be neurotic and you're always nagging because you're constantly trying to follow up and, and be nice and trust people, but there's no tools or structure in place to create that accountability. And so things like the scorecards, every single Monday, we get on these meetings and everyone has a number that they have to hit and you say, okay, did you hit this number? Yes or no. And it's Mm -hmm. that black and white we have, we have a a quarterly rock and everyone's got their own rock. And you say, okay, are you on track or off track? And if you say on track every single week and you get to the quarterly meeting and it's not done, it's then it's, it's very black and white to say like, okay, you said you were on track with this goal every single week. What happens? Mm -hmm. It just creates the space to be able to have those difficult conversations with respect, but also just transparency. And it's very clean, right? There's no ambiguity
0: yep. in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no ego there. The thing I really liked about it, or or it, it it eliminates a lot of the ego that can sometimes be, you know, like the gatekeeping of like this is my project, like that right. kind of thing. It's like, well, we're actually all in this together, and if it's transparent, then you know, and people are like, hey you've said it's been green, you know, for the last four weeks, but I haven't seen anything. Right. Or it's like, Hey, this one is red. This one's been red for four weeks. Like, are you going to get this done? Do you need help? Right. Or like, do we need to prioritize that? Or even, I mean, you know, within EOS, they basically say like, if you're hitting 70 to 80, if you're accomplishing 70 to 80% of your rocks in a quarter, like you're doing well, like you should be, overly ambitious. And so have like 20, 10, 20, 30%, really 20, 30% of the things that you plan to get done that quarter, not getting done. If you have more than that, then you're like, you're way too ambitious and you're going to kill more out. If you're, if you're doing a hundred percent of them, you should be more ambitious. Right. But you know, we, we would have those conversations of like, well, is this, is this going to be part of the 20%, you know? And if so, that's, that's okay. Um, You know, as long as it's like, not like the major thing that would, you know, we're counting on to like really move the needle in the business. In that case, like we've misprioritized things. Right. And so like, we're, we're working on things that are less effective and why would we ever do that within a business? So I, I love that about, about EOS that it keeps everyone accountable to everyone else.
2: There's also these checkpoints that kind of act as a reset button too. Like when you said like, oh, you, you go weeks to weeks and things don't happen or you don't see stuff happening. It's like what every quarter you have these quarterly, they call it quarterly pulsing, like quarterly meetings. And without fail, every single quarter, as you start to get to that deadline, the last few weeks of the quarter, everything feels really messy and kind of off track. And EOS will tell you that's completely natural because that's why you have the quarterly meetings so that stuff doesn't just drag out and everything gets kind of lost and jumbled. And those quarterly meetings act as a great reset when stuff does feel like it's just kind of getting dragged out or needs to be reevaluated or kind of have like a clear the air session.
1: Absolutely. And you have both been hinted at it, but like one of the absolute foundational things is setting rocks, whether it's annually and quarterly. How did you both go about setting those rocks and, you know, how much of your team did you pull in to doing that? How much of it was it you guys setting it up yourselves versus getting the team aligned and making sure that each person and each team and each individual had their rocks?
0: So we were a small team, so everyone was involved in it. But I didn't go into the, as the quote unquote leader, I didn't go into it blind and like not having any ideas. It was like, Hey, these are the things I, I had a whole like prioritization, like spreadsheet based off of like impact to the business and had a scorecard from Dan Martel and SAS Academy, which we, I was in for a number of years. So I had like a lot of those things set and people could see that. So there was never anything that was a surprise to the team, but I would come in and basically cast the vision and be like, I, we are currently here. I'd give like a state of the business, like update. It was like, here's how our revenue is done. Here is how... How, you know, X, Y, and Z, like metrics that we looked at, um, we're done. I'm like, I think that we can be here. And that means we need to hit X, Y, and Z milestones. How are we going to get there? Right. And that like, people could obviously, you know, say like, I think that's too ambitious or not ambitious enough, but you know, that, that I kind of saw that as like, that was my job to say, this is where we're going. Now, how do we get there together that I felt like that really helped. And then we just, I mean, we just run the, run the process from the book.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. We did it the opposite where we did have a small team at the time, but the main reason we were implementing EOS was to stop passing around this ball of overwhelm. And we already knew that everyone was pretty maxed out on bandwidth. So it just started with uh, my visionary and I as the integrator setting rocks for ourselves and making sure that we understood the process. And then we brought in a small leadership team, and then we expanded it to the rest of the company over the course of three or four quarters. But I think we did that because we had, we didn't want people to get whiplash because we had already thrown so much at people and we're trying all kinds of different things. And it was the first time we actually sat down and said like, okay, let's make sure that we are fully on board with this before letting it go. Because one thing we have learned is that it's really hard to take things back. Once it, once you open up that bag, it's really hard to take things back and people are excited. If you're a good visionary, a good leader, people are excited to implement what you give them, right? And so- we held back where it sounds like you guys had the team in place to be able for everyone to dive right in. Cause everyone was kind of on the same level at the time.
0: Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that, I think that was helpful for us in the, I mean, short, short, medium and, um, and long-term I, I do think with a small team though, you end up running into, at least I found we ran into challenges of like, someone's a golden retriever. And they're mm-hmm. like, they're all excited and they're all about it. And then they actually like, you know, jump into the pond and they're like, oh shit, there's crocodiles in here, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, or, or they're just like, oh, I, I forgot, I don't know how to swim. Go to retriever, toddler, whatever, um, ho- however you want to think about it. But um, we, we did run into like a lot of skill gaps, which was fine, but also like needed to then like f- further develop those people, which you absolutely should be doing. But there was some like, we had more gaps than I thought that we had and then would have been ideal that's
1: really super interesting. How did you, A, identify some of those skill gaps with, and what were some of the things you did to kind of coach up your team to kind of get past, to work past those?
0: That's a great question. And Rachel, I'd love to hear how you do it. Cause you are the, you are the integrator, not the visionary like me. For me, it was basically like, Hey, it looks to me like you're struggling with this thing. Um, is that true? Uh, and they're like, yes, it, it, that is actually, uh, actually true. Thank you for noticing that. Okay, cool. How can I help you out? And then, you know, I don't know, in in a small team, my approach is always like, you need to have a bunch of A players. Um, And so like, I I would kind of give them some ideas and introduce some people, but then it was kind of on them to go and, you know, gain the skills that they needed to do their job well. So I'm not saying it's the best approach, but that's the approach that I took.
2: Yeah. Mine was totally different because I am one of those people that if things aren't organized, like I can't sleep at night. (laughs) So so I, but I, I swear I'm going to write a book someday called corralling creatives because I work with all creatives. So we had a lot of golden retrievers and a lot of big ideas and a lot of people that were very ambitious, ambitious and excited to set rocks and achieve goals. The challenge is if you let big thinkers set their own rocks without any sort of boundaries or, or a guide, it ends up being a marketing goal. So something really high and lofty instead of a realistic goal. And that's one thing we've learned, had to learn how to do is separate our ambitious marketing goals, which we want to shoot to the stars, right? We want to like set really big goals and go after them. And if we land like even remotely near them, we did a great job. We've had to separate that from the planning goals that we have in our quarterly meetings, which are a lot more structural and tactical because we didn't want to demoralize the team when not everyone working on those goals was a kind of a hustler or a hunter, right? You're pulling in the whole team to do them. So for us, it was more about just separating the idea of like, okay, what's like the go crazy reach for the moon rocks that we're working on? And then what is our, this needs to happen to make sure that the business is healthy and thriving goals.
1: You brought up a great point, Rachel, that was I was going to segue into anyway, which was how do you like, you know, set the right rocks that, you know, are realistic without demoralizing the team with like super lofty goals. It sounds like you maybe had some trial and error there. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit more on maybe one of the rocks that you originally set that was, let's just say overly ambitious and how you kind of corrected that?
2: Yeah. So first of all, we're still very much in trial and error mode on setting rocks. Rocks are the hardest thing to set, which is so strange and feels like it shouldn't be because it's just setting goals. Right. But it's hard to set something to focus on for an entire quarter when we're all in this business, like we're all quick starts or we're all creatives and we all like want to do so many things at once. It's really hard to focus on something for three whole months. One lesson that we learned is do not give your visionary rocks. <laughs> No matter how much they ask for them, visionaries are not allowed to have rocks. And that's because they need to focus on visionary stuff. They need to focus on coming up with ideas and the marketing and growth, and they need to focus on the visionary stuff. And if visionaries have rocks, one, most of the time they don't get done without someone else stepping in and helping them implement. But two, it really detracts from the value that they bring to the business, which is being more creative and open and being able to think ahead of the rest of the team. So that was something we learned early on and are still kind of playing with, but we've seen that things have gone really well. when we give people who have very specific success metrics, rocks to work towards rather than the people who are, whose job it is to come up with genius ideas and growth. They don't necessarily have specific
0: rocks all the time. Rachel, have you been watching my business? (laughs) 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 Everything you just said, I completely agree with from the visionary side, like do (laughs) not give me rocks. Like I will get things done. And like when I commit to something, I'm also ADHD. So like when I commit to something, I get really focused on it. Like I get it done really fast. Um, and I get it done well, but getting me to like, but me getting myself to that point, especially when I have a lot of other things going on is really, really tough. So, um, I, I, I think, at an ideal company that's implementing a system like EOS, I think you're you're absolutely right. And if you have the luxury of the visionary not needing to to have rocks, then I, I think that would be, I mean, it'd be amazing for me, honestly. But uh, we, we also found, you know, with our rocks, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, Jessica, there are, I mean, they literally say like, your first couple of quarters, you're gonna figure out what your true like capacity for getting things done is. And we definitely found that like our first quarter, we're like, I think we got, I don't even remember, but like we we didn't get as much done, I think the first, the first quarter. And then like the second quarter, we got more done than we thought than, than we, you know, than we said that we would. We did like 90, 95%. It's like, all right, so we're not being ambitious enough. And then we like kind of corrected from there. But we also found, and this is why you do the quarterly planning, is about 10 weeks into a quarter, about two and a half months in, like, as Rachel said, stuff is feeling like pretty busy and crazy, but also everyone feels like they don't quite know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, we were, it was honestly, it was always a relief. It's always a relief to get in there and do the quarterly planning because, then we, then we all walk out with clarity. Right. So I thought that that was really interesting um, to see, but it is definitely like, you have to go into it with the expectation of these first couple of quarters, like might be a little bit demoralizing and we might find out some hard truths about ourselves and about the business, about we're not being ambitious enough or being too ambitious or we have the wrong people, or we don't have, we're lacking certain skill sets or something like that. And you kind of just have to go into it with a, with a humble, like humble mindset and, ready to learn um, and ready to like see those hard things. Cause those hard things are probably th- that you haven't realized before are probably the things that are holding your business back, which is why you are implementing uh, a system like this in the first place.
2: Yeah. That's so hard too, because like one of the things that EOS teaches you is they call it leading from the lid. And that's like, you are always on like the cusp of your self-development and your ability to lead. And so you're leading as the visionary and the integrator as well from like just the border of not knowing what the fuck you're doing. Yep. (laughs) You always have to like be like one step ahead of the team in knowing what you're doing, but they like, they don't know how close you are to having no idea what you're doing. You know what I mean? And so leading from the lid is like, you always have to be pushing your own development as a leader, as a business owner, as a marketer. And then like, you just have to figure out in time for everyone to catch up with you, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, this is why I have like, Three bookshelves full of like business books, and a Kindle, you know, Kindle app that's full of business books, and a my Notability app on my iPad that's full of notes about you know about, about these books. Like, you're absolutely right. It's like, we're we're right on the edge, and I think it's it's a as a as a leader, it's a fine line to walk between like because people look to you and they want to know that you're a human and that you're not sure about things, but at the same time, if you're unsure about too much, then they lose trust in you. Yep. So it is a, um, it, it's a tough uh, line to walk, but I mean, it's, it's, it's the game we play. So, mm-hmm. but, but I always, I always found that to be, I've always found that to be kind of a tough, a tough thing. Um, and not like overstating what you're capable of, you know, um, cause we all like to be looked at, I like to at least like to be looked at as like having it together and knowing what I'm doing, you know, but actually the, the humility there. And I, I think, I think for me, actually EOS, uh, and a, just an operating system within the business was just—it was just humbling um, in, in a very good way because it's like because it, it just shines a mirror on everything that's broken. And it can be really hard to see all the things that are broken and to see all the places where you are deficient as the leader. But then also like that—that that is your role, and you need to get comfortable kind of sitting in that, you know. And you're riding the roller coaster, but as you go on, as you get more experience, the roller coaster—the dips at least don't feel as big because you've been there before, you know. Um, and you
2: get to look back and say, like, look how far we've come.
0: That's right. That's right. I always love, I I love looking back at the end of the year and being like, look at everything that we did. And the team's like, holy shit.
2: yes,
0: (laughs) That's crazy. I'm like, can you believe we did that? And it's it's dual, like we got all that done. And can you believe that like this thing that is now like changing the business only like rolled out two months ago? It's like, what? It feels like it's been a year since that happened. So yeah.
1: I I love what you were saying about how EOS, I'm going to shine the mirror on some of your like weaknesses or things that you maybe need to work on or things that with either as a leader or within the business, what were some of the strategies that you used to kind of work past, you know, a weakness that kind of was developed as you were rolling out EOS in the beginning? And how do you balance doing that with also staying humble and still being seen as a leader by your team and not, you know, having them like lose trust in you? For us,
2: it was, um, we have this, innate ability to attract really high achievers who are driven by pride of performance. And one of the the mirrors that opened up and and shined on our business was that we not intentionally had a tendency to punish high performers by just letting them perform bigger and better and better and better and not putting in structures to protect them from themselves. And so a lot of times people would burn out or they would um, just take on so much because they were so great at saying, yeah, let me handle that. Leave that with me. I'll take that, that we just let them expand and expand until the, they had spread themselves too thin. And it wasn't intentional and it wasn't that we were trying to have a cultural culture of burnout. But one thing we recognized is that by having these restrictions of having clearly defined seats on our accountability chart with clearly defined responsibilities for that seat, and only one name gets to sit in that seat, gives people so much freedom to rest, to let things go and to trust their teammates that they don't have to handle everything and fill every space that they see.
1: Did you get any initial, because you were working with high performers who are very ambitious, did you get any, you know, initial pushback when people were being siloed into a direct role?
2: I think the pushback was more that everything felt like it was limiting, but like many restrictions around creativity and growth, it was actually freeing. And so it was more about just saying you have to trust me and we have to trust the system. And we promise if it doesn't work, then we can go back to what we were doing, but more about just creating that trust that we're going to try this and we're all going to commit to it. And that's really what it came down to was trust, trust in them that, that they were going to still perform to the best of their ability, but trust us to put this, the system in place and that we would all follow the system and row in the same direction together.
1: And how's it working today? Yeah, now it's working great. So we
2: grew huge. We had a team of like, almost 25 with our with our community moderators and everybody. And now we're back down to a team of really six core people because we kind of grew up realized that we were so bloated and shrunk down to this really core team. And everyone is very confident in their role, has very clear success metrics and really there's no babysitting happening, which is was a big problem before um, when we were first started rolling out and and trying to make everything work. Everyone's very empowered and and responsible. And very clear on what they are responsible for, which creates a lot of freedom actually in the business.
1: Yeah, I love it. And one thing that both you and John have both kind of hinted at, and I wanted to kind of, before we close out, read with this, was it almost, you know, shone a light on maybe some people who were coasting or not performing to their best by having the system and having rocks and scorecards. What were some of the things that you did, and maybe starting with John first, that you did when you realized that was the case?
0: how did you respond to that? Uh, I think for us, it was just, it started with just having very real conversations about like what, just, just what's going on here. Right. And, and that is always very illuminating. It's always been very illuminating for me at least. Um, cause you just, you get different answers and you know, I, I don't, I've learned to not assume anything. Sometimes it's like, well, I don't know how to do this. Okay, cool. Well, if you don't know how to do it, what should we do in the future? Right? Like asking for help, like that kind of thing. So some of that is just like just coaching and just dealing with, you know, your employees, um, everyone else at the company as humans, right? And not just like cogs in a machine. And then from whatever that answer is, then you kind of you kind of deal with it from there, right? Is it a skill gap? Is it a, we, we had a, we had a, someone who had a very rough time just with their family during one of the quarters. Uh, they had multiple grandparents die and a parent got sick. It was like 2021. And then, like, their, you know, their their one of their parents um had a very severe case of COVID and and all this. And like, they just didn't have the emotional bandwidth to do the things that they needed to do, you know? Um, and so like, sometimes you just have to allow for that humanity while at the same time, not excusing it and not letting people like just make excuses. Right. Cause I do believe like we need to, yeah, you know, I mean, we're professionals and we need to show up, but we're also humans. And so we need to deal with people on the human level. So th- that's kind of how we, h- how I approached it. And it, it seemed to work pretty well. And, you know, and, and when you approach people as, a, as humans, then, you know, that, that also engenders a lot of like loyalty um, to, to you and the business as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We had the same situation as well. Like people who just had a lot going on and didn't want to bring it up. And uh, yeah, I I think the quarterly pulsing, the quarterly meetings, and also the weekly meetings, like if you ever get to a point and you're like, I actually don't know what this person is doing, then Mm. it's, it's a red flag. It's right. Like, like someone has a job and they have responsibilities, but if you go through that and you're like, I actually don't know what they're doing. That, that was like a big, red flag for us, or just opened up a, a can of worms where we're like, Oh, maybe we need to have some more structure around what this person's responsible for and what, what
1: that looks like. Mm-hmm. And in both of your scenarios, when you uncover that, um, how many times were you able to kind of rectify the problem just through coaching and just management versus having to let someone go?
0: We were always able to manage it through like coaching and, and that sort of thing. We, we, I never had to let, had to let someone go. Because of EOS. Let me put it that way. I've definitely had to let people go because of like other performance reasons, but I, it was, it was just, you know, I, I think I was fortunate that I had some of the right, some of the right people, um, you know, on the team that we were able to, to just go ahead and be effective. But what about you, Rachel?
2: Yeah, we definitely had to let people go. But what EOS helped us do is it was never a surprise for either party. And so so usually you got to the conversation and they it would be something like, hey, so we're having these issues. And they're like, yeah, I know. I'm definitely not the right fit for this role. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like they already know. And it's almost like a relief to them or they let themselves go because you create so much transparency around expectations that they're like, yeah, I definitely don't want to do this or I definitely can't do this. We had, a we had that happen issues- as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good. It's creates that transparency because the right person is out there. And once you find the right person, you're like, oh my God, this was so hard before. And now it's so easy because this person is the right fit for the seat. And so one thing EOS does is have, have you build the structure first and not build the structure around people, like not like try and protect a person or a, a paycheck or a process. Um, you build what's needed first and then see who's around to fill those seats. But, but the expectations are very, very clear on what's needed. And it also brought to light some situations where people weren't weren't being bad people or weren't trying to be malicious, but just brought to light the things that just weren't gonna work for us. We had um, a couple situations where people were taking on other full-time roles. They didn't tell us and they don't have to tell us everything about their life, but it was clearly impacting their performance and their ability to be plugged into the team. And that came to light and they're like, yeah, sorry. I know no one likes to be second fiddle. And we're like, yeah, that's really not cool. So this isn't going to work for us. And just allowed those conversations to happen, but in a very respectful way. Like sometimes the most respectful thing we can do is have those difficult conversations and this creates structure for that.
1: Knowing what you both know now, going back to the earliest days of implementing EOS, is there anything you would have changed?
2: so much (laughs) (laughs) uh go ahead john
0: oh man i yeah yeah there is for sure i mean a i would have been more more adamant about like the tracking of um like of our rocks and like progress tracking and and kind of checking in on individual projects like instead of just kind of trusting people for them to be like, oh yeah, sure. Like I'm, I'm doing all these things instead to have them, instead to actually like zoom in on the project and be like, hey, let's actually like do a deep dive on how this project is going and like what, you know, kind of how you're planning it out and, and all of that. I think we would have done a lot more planning up front, actually, now that I'm saying it, like that's one of the big ones instead of someone just like let, letting them run, basically be like, okay, what are we doing here, right? And do some proper like project planning. We didn't do that for the first like three, four quarters and then started doing it. And that made a huge, huge difference for us. Just like people really understanding what the expectations are. Cause I can say like, we're going to do this thing. And then someone's like, okay, cool. And then they're like, I don't know what you want. Right. (laughs) Um, And then I would say actually that, um, and I'll I'll let you go Rachel after, after this one. But um, I think that right there was actually one of my bigger learnings as well, where it's not just about what I want. Right. Like, yes, I'm the founder, I'm the CEO, I'm the visionary, whatever, but like, none of that really matters. Um, and at the size that we were um, at the time, it was like, I'm, I, was also, I, was, I was very much traveling to like owner, manager, boss, individual contributor, like all of those roles, which is just a really freaking hard like place to be. But often like they'd be like, well, wh- what do you want me to do here? And I'm like, what do you think we should do here? Right? Um, and so like, I feel like I didn't do good enough, at least early on, I didn't do good enough of a job of like, hey, you have ownership here. Like, mm-hmm. and we're, we're working on it together, but it's not just, you're not just doing what I want you to do. Like you, you should have input here as well. Right. If you're the right fit for this company, you should have input here and you should like care, honestly. <laughs> so, um, and, and be proud of the work that you're doing. So that, that, that's, I think those are some of the things for us. What about you, Rachel?
2: I, I completely agree. It is actually really hard to get someone to believe you that they have power and authority. Right. Um, just because especially in American companies, like that just is not a thing like, like, you know what I mean? It's that there's so much red tape usually, and you have to kind of toe the line and taking risks is not celebrated. And so when you want to build a company that has that culture of empowerment, it's really hard to get people to believe you that you're not going to fire them. If they bring issues to you, like one of the biggest challenges we had was getting people to bring us issues. So we're like, we want you to come and tell us what's wrong so that we can fix it. And so it's, it's kind of like if you're a landlord and you have a renter and they never tell you that the toilet's leaking and then the ceiling falls through, you know, it's because it's been leaking upstairs for three years. Right. Um, you want people to bring you issues. And so, one of the things that we that I would have done differently is, first of all, um, just like you said, getting people to push back and to take responsibility and feel comfortable uh, taking risks and taking ownership of things, I would have just encouraged that way more because I just said it and then assumed people would take me at my word, but instead of reinforcing it at every given point that I could, and it just took time, but now everyone's great with that. And then same like you, just growing too fast. Uh, we, we hired a team too big too quickly, but it wasn't because that was the wrong thing to do. It's because just like you said, John, we didn't have crystal clear success metrics in place for each one of those roles. And so one of the biggest, hardest lessons we had was we kind of handed over the keys to the kingdom to a new marketing leadership uh, position. And just trusted that they would get it right without having very clear success metrics that said every single week you need to hit this number and this number. And it was, it was just, it was a really hard lesson for us and set us back quite a bit because we we didn't do that planning ahead of time for what was expected. And so I think you can grow as fast as you want. You just can't do that until you're very, very clear on what the expectations are of each of those roles.
1: That is such a great point. And it, this has been an amazing discussion all about, you know, EOS and all the intricacies of it. Um, If people want to chat even more or find you online, where can people find you online? So for me, uh, uh, rachelmazza.com,
2: R-A-C-H-E-L-M-A-Z-Z-A is my website. Um, And I write a lot about this stuff. So I've got a blog there and I've got an email list and I try to share what I'm learning is along the way. So that's the best place to find me.
0: Best place to find me, so uh, company website is editorninja.com. My Twitter is at DohertyJF, D-O-H-E-R-T-Y-J-F. I do have a personal site, but it's been offline for about a month now, (laughs) thanks to Kinsta and their PHP upgrade. Um, So I have it actually on my to-do list to do today. Um, So hopefully by the time this goes live, this podcast goes live, uh, that'll be back live. Um, But that's johnfdoherty.com. There's a lot of like legacy stuff there, but that just has more information about, about me. But Twitter... Um, is the best place to interact with me personally and then the the business website.
1: Thank you, Rachel and John. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jessica. Jessica.
0: Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com to learn more about remote work trends and insights.